The third killer in America now is medical practice. So the pharmaceutical deaths that are happening. If you don't listen to anything else or hear anything else that both of us are saying tonight, work hard on getting your affirmative mindset. Even therapy, even talking with somebody about the issues that's that's keeping you lodged in a, in, in a kind of stuck position, that's very helpful. When I can combine the work we do with lifestyle and attitudinal medicine and start to take the state-of-the-art stem cell approaches, it is stunning. You know, people that should have died, let's be honest, mm. didn't die in many cases because of this. Welcome to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. This is where I have a chance to share with you some of the latest developments in the space of holistic health, longevity, and wellness. I have always honored intellectual curiosity and scientific rigor combined with real world practicality. My goal is that what you learn here will help you live longer and live better. Hope you enjoy the journey with me. Welcome to Dr. Joy Kong podcast. So this is a podcast that's all about health, wellness, inspirations and happiness. So my goal is to increase the happiness index of the world. And if you've been listening to it, you found it helpful, please like and subscribe. And today I have an incredible guest. I'm so excited about Dr. Brian Clement. So um, Dr. Clement is very acclaimed. It has been instrumental in the whole health and wellness, you know, integrated medicine space. So just briefly, Dr. Clement has spearheaded international progressive health movement for more than 35 years. So he's a director of the renowned Hippocrates Wellness in West Palm Beach, Florida, where he facilitates implementation of innovative natural health treatments and programs. He's the author of numerous books where he explores various aspects of health, spirituality, and nutrition. And Dr. Brian's progressive ideas on total wellness, coupled with his practical science experience, have provided him with the opportunity to travel to more than 25 countries. And he was he has been motivating the public to take action and improve their lives. So I want to welcome you, Dr. Brian. <laughs> well, nice yeah. to be with you. You know, we're 3,000 miles apart and like in the same room. So that's I lovely. know, exactly. <laughs> I'm loving this new technology. And you are actually all the way over here in my clinic and educating people and giving you an incredible presentation. I was so impressed. So I thought I really, really need to get you on here and share more of your wisdom because you are a wealth of information and uh, lots of wisdom. So you know, I, um, I, I, you know, I get to do lots of interviews, but it's rare I completely agree with what the host is saying, because you just said, you wanna make the world a happier place. You said, what's the number one cause why people are sick? You got it right there. People are unhappy, they're lost, they're confused, they're sabotaging their life. And it's no wonder uh, the age is actually dropping. Did you know that? Mm, we are in the last in the last five years, we've actually dropped almost five years. And for the first time in history, we are actually wow. uh, modern history, we should say, is we're now flatlining. We're not getting younger as time goes on. Uh, if you look at the CDC, they actually predicted that children born today will die five years sooner than their parents. First time in recorded history. So we've got to become happy. And how do we become happy? You, you and I know how to become happy. But we've got to teach those people. <laughs> you have always looked so happy and so vibrant. So tell us your secrets. Well, number one, I think what you have to do is find your purpose and your passion. I always call it the PP. If you find your PP, you're going to have the S. <laughs> and the PP is a purposeful life that you're living with passion. As you know, you know, what you do as a profession, you went into because you wanted to help people, you love it, you're joyous about it, and you're fulfilled. So at the end of the day, if you're not fulfilled, there's going to be little preparations in your emotional and biological person. And that's where the disease and the disorder comes in. <clears throat> and so I think that's number one. And a lot of people say, well, gee, I've got to make a living and I really don't like my job. And I'm in a a partnership and a marriage I don't like. It's all up to you. And I'll never forget many years ago, uh, we had a young woman here who, in her late 30s, and in my class, she decided that she was going to leave her occupation. 
I didn't know who she was at the time. And shortly after, a couple of the other guests said, you know, she was on the front cover of the Chicago Magazine about two months ago as the highest paid attorney, female attorney in the history of Chicago. Her salary back then, this is years ago, was a million dollars a year. And then settlements it. And she decided here at Hippocrates to leave. So I didn't ever let on like I knew who she was. But the next week in class, uh, I actually asked, uh, what do you think you're going to do? And the answer she gave was so heart-wrenching and provoking to me. And it taught me something. She said, you know, when I was a little girl, I was the best in kindergarten. I was the best in grade school. In high school, I was a queen. I was the top of my class. I, I was Phi Beta Kappa from the top of my you know, Ivy League University. And she said, for the first time in my life, I'm not going to do what other people told me to do. And I'm not going to be best at what they want me to be. I'm going to find what I love. And she does. She's an artist now, by the way. And I'm sure she's very successful in that. Maybe she's not making millions of dollars, but the reality is, I'm sure she's a contributor to the human race. Wow. Beautiful. Have you seen, because you've seen so many people there, I don't even know how many people have come through the Hippocrates Health Institute, which is a beautiful, incredible ground. I mean, I, I, I spent a few days there and absolutely loved it. You've seen many, many people. Have you seen how people's mentality, you know, how their mindset have prevented them from healing? Do you? Well, do that's you everything. You know, the hardest struggle for me, uh, because I come from a, a biochemical and nutritional background uh, I'm a naturopathic physician. And so I always thought that everything was about lifestyle and about nutrients. And, and uh, back in 1980, they, I think unwisely, but I was lucky, uh, made me the director of Hippocrates along with my wife. And I was just ambitious enough to agree. And ever since 1980, I've been trying to figure out how to do this job. But mm -hmm. one of the things that happened when you go from a, a worker or a a person who has a functionary position to the, to the person who's directing an institute and an institute like this, that people come here asking for us to help them save their lives, change their lives. Uh, I no longer had the, the ability to be casual about this. Let's put it that way. And within very short order, I would see that some people would do exactly what I told them with nutrition and they'd still be sick. But I woke up a little bit, although I was much younger, I woke up a little bit and started to recognize that I was hearing a similar pattern of the way they perceive life. And that pattern was they thought life was a struggle. They thought problems were inevitable. And it forced me to start to search for somebody I used to think was quackery, to be honest with you. Hmm. Psychologist, psychotherapist. I used to, you know... I'm a guy who grew up in the New York area and we were taught to be tough and no matter what, you, you know, chew nails and you got to be weak if you need a psychologist. Mm. But I interviewed 17 people and finally chose this lovely, extraordinary 70-year-old woman who, who was actually married to the poor end of the Cabot family in Boston, the professors over at Harvard. And uh, she came in and instantaneously, instantaneously, two things happened. First, I realized that how wrong I was mm. and how right it is to look at people's concerns and to help them release the burden in their life. You know, and if you do that, then people are likely to and apt to start to eat right and think right and not tolerate bad relationships and not work in a position just to make money and, and, and survive. They want to thrive. And so the liberation factor here at Hippocrates, and I think any legitimate healthcare system, to be honest with you, starts with the way people think. That is inevitably and, and, and without question in my mind now after using this for 42 years and as a director, the single most important factor in people's well-being. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I you know, there, there are a lot of tools available these days, including things like, uh, you know, brain tap, and that can help you get into a more meditative state. Uh, but, um, but even even therapy, even talking with somebody about the issues that's, that's keeping you lodged in a, in, in a kind of stuck position, that's very helpful.
It's true. The new frontier, as you know, as a physician, uh, what we were taught in school about the brain is, was completely wrong, to be honest with you. Mm. There was no asserted effort that went into brain anatomy, how the brain functioned, how the mind interacts with the brain consciousness. None of that was even part of the dialogue until very, very recently. And it was the advent of MRIs, which you and I love. You know, they may not be the healthiest thing in the world, but when you look at an MRI, you have a pretty good picture of what's happening in a person. So the MRI uh, started to look at the brain and we've accrued such incredible information from all around the globe with physicians and researchers at universities and, and laboratories, so much so that we can now, as you pointed out, pick a wide variety of choices to liberate our, our fears, to liberate our sadness, to liberate our you know, unresolved issues. And we use a lot of technology here, as you pointed out, one of the most recent ones we brought in is BrainTap, that actually, even if you try to resist, puts you in a state of relaxation that, act, that gets your immune system to work. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all want. The second thing is that some of us need, and most of us need, let's be clear, that interreaction with the person who's blessed and gifted at what they do, who really has been with hundreds or thousands of people and pretty much know what words to say at certain times to trigger release in your body. But, you know, mood, music and lighting and all of these things. Right now, we have a world's renowned expert in residency here for two months teaching people about sound. And sound alone, you get into a room with frequencies. This goes back to the Monroe work in the 1960s and 70s. Monroe was at one point the, the president of NBC. And he had a wild idea in the 60s where he said, hey, let's use television to change the consciousness of people and improve their lives. And they fired him because it was just way ahead of time. So he opened the Monroe Institute. You should study this sometime. It's brilliant. And he actually used frequencies for people to go back into their history. And what extraordinary work it was. It's funny, when I was here in, a, in the States, I didn't learn about it. When I was over in Europe in the 1970s before becoming director, uh, a center I helped to develop in Switzerland, Foundation Soleil, Foundation of the Sun, uh, the director came in and taught us all about that. Yeah, you have so many tools at your disposal. I, I think, you know, even when you were talking here at my clinic, um, you you know, mentioned a wide array of, of tools that we can use to optimize our health. You know, of course, the, the mental health is very much connected to the physical health. Um, so I, I, I think we have an explosion of technologies right now. And it's, uh, you probably are the, at, the, at the forefront of it. Probably everybody's pitching, uh, you know, at you to try to get you to implement them. Um, has that been invigorating or or, you know, it, it just overwhelming? How, how has it been for you? Well, I would, if I had to pick one of those two words, it would be invigorating. And of course, there's <laughs> a lot of nonsense, as you know, in medicine and natural health care that comes along. And so you have to filter those things out. And I say I'm pretty good at that, fair. Mm -hmm. uh, or there are repeats or regurgitations of what happened in the past. But when you start to look at the future of modern health care, it will be electronic. It will be genetics. It will be stem cells. There's no question in my mind. Now, the powers that be that make money on other avenues aren't happy about this. So it's going to take longer than it ought to uh, to get to the public, which it could remarkably help. I mean, we've been working with one of the most advanced stem cell doctors in the United States, uh, in the world, literally, but he's here in Florida, thank God, uh, for very advanced cases of disorders, cancers, et cetera. And when I can combine the work we do with lifestyle and attitudinal medicine and start to take the state-of-the-art stem cell approaches, it is stunning. You know, people that should have died, let's be honest with you, mm. didn't die in many cases because of this. When you look at genetics, I mean, genetics is still in the infantile uh, level, but in the last decade, we've learned that certain people have genes they can't methylate or digest or utilize certain nutrients. And so what does that mean? Folate is one of the big ones. And when women have a folate malabsorption problem and they have babies, this is why we have brain injury in babies. 
This little simple genetic discovery means if we just give the right folate to these women and they're pregnant, no longer will we have the, the level and number of kids that are born with problems. When it comes to B12, uh, that 70% of the population globally lack B12. Meat eaters, dairy eaters, they lack it at an 8% higher than healthy vegans. So this is a universal problem. And if you lack B12 long-term, and let me repeat so you don't miss what I said, 70%, seven out of 10 people worldwide have a B12 deficiency. Hmm. Now, not all of them have a methylation problem, but a percentage have a methylation problem. And I'll go one step further. So that means a mom and dad uh, both had a genetic predisposition not to absorb that particular bacteria. Because B12 is not a, a, a B vitamin. It's a soil-based microorganism. You lack that, you end up with dementia. I don't care what you eat. That is the number one trigger for dementia. And so genetics is going to help us. And remember, we're in kindergarten. We're going to go to middle school and then great. Imagine when we get to the university with this. And then one of the things that I'm happy about, you know, Ann Wigmore, our founder, after healing stage four cancer, uh, when the Harvard guys in 52 told her she, she was going to die in three months, within three months, uh, she coined the name lifestyle medicine. Mm. And she was such a vision person. She realized that what was lacking in healthcare then, and sadly today, and when we're recording this, is self-care. That even the natural doctors come to me, pay me, I heal you. Well, it's a wrong approach. That what we should say, and I'm sure you do this because you're a very integrity-filled human being. You tell people you can't heal them. You basically tell people you're going to help them. You can support them. You can give them what you know and your knowledge. And by the way, the next time they come, you're, you're going to know more. <laughs> and so it's this process. And, but she realized that people don't know how to live. That my loving and extraordinary mom and dad uh, literally were the first drug pushers I met. They taught me about eating sugar when I was good. And when they, I was bad, they took away the dope. <laughs> they were the people that said, I need meat every single day or I die of protein deficiency. Uh, you know, all of this stuff, not because they were bad people, because they were conditioned by a culture that's broken, a society that's broken, that's really governed by marketers, that we don't have a cultural norm. We have marketers that mold our imagery of what we should be, who we should look at what they've done to young girls, the adolescents. You know, they have them anorexic. They have them bulimic because they say, if you don't look like this, you're not an attractive young woman. And we're doing all kinds of weird things with that. This is all harmful. But if you can raise above it and start to say to yourself, I see the nonsense and I choose not to participate in the nonsense, that's the first step. And these technologies that we're talking about, we call it energy medicine, have been extraordinary. We're working with a brand new one that was put together by the top guy in the world. He's at the Max Planck Institute in Zurich now, and it's called a cocoon. And they have 12 cards that frequencies come out of the cards. So everything from if you have a sleep disorder to you want a calming effect, they have one that's really cute. They call it the Hawaiian one that actually pulls you out, relaxes you a little bit. And these things work. I don't have a sleep disorder. I don't have a sleeping problem. But I put this into experiment with myself and I slept so much deeper. Hmm. It was absolutely visible within the first night of, of sleep. So these are the kind of things we see that are going to really liberate us to be healthy and to keep us healthy so that our immune system doesn't weaken so that cancers and viruses and bacteria and all of this disease and death causing uh, concern is part of your life. No, you're going to maybe have them attack you, but you're not going to succumb to it. Yeah. I think the current medical model um, that's focusing on throwing drugs at people and they keep developing new drugs and apparently very, very expensive. And some, I, and I just talked with uh, somebody that was in a drug experiment, all of a sudden, who knows why the drug company decided to pull out and the medication was abruptly stopped and the, the person, I mean, massive 
number of people are severely ill from this abrupt withdrawal. So who knows what happened with the medication that led to this, this kind of interaction, the person ended up on ventilator, you know, almost died. It, it's pretty frightening. And I just talked to another patient that has some kind of a lung fibrosis and got on this medication that caused $106,000 a year. And he said, Oh, luckily, the Medicare pays for it, you know, the, the VA system, you know, altogether, they, they're paying for it. And then he's getting incredible fatigue, can barely get out of bed and, and, and all kinds of other, you know, GI problems. And he said, but supposedly in six months, I, I should be getting used to these side effects. And it just mind boggling. He hasn't noticed much benefit, but it's mind boggling what is covered and what kind of expenses has gone into people's yeah, lives. I mean, I Compared mean, to that, the stem cell treatment is very, is very inexpensive. I mean, it's just craziness. Yeah, I mean, you just made a, a, such an important point there. Let's, let's talk about it again. So here is a drug that costs $106,000 a year. The average American family, not a poor one, the average one makes under $50,000 a year. So imagine you're that person and you walk in, the, 50, the middle class person, and the doctor says, there's one drug that will help you with your disease, but it costs over two years of your salary. And by the way, your insurance doesn't cover it because no longer does the doctor, like when I was a kid, the doctor had the say, the last say. As you know, the insurance company seemed to have the last say. Mm. No, you can't afford that. We can't cover you. So the option is death. Mm. I saw it during the HIV epidemic back in the 70s and 80s where the drug that they blew the dust off that was a failed cancer drug in the 1950s, they rolled back out again and literally gave it to, to, to people for AIDS. Mm -hmm. And it was prohibitive. Uh, 35, 40 years ago, I think it was costing $2,500 you know, a month for it. The average person didn't have that kind of money. So I actually watched what happened. They said, well, you, your insurance doesn't cover it. I don't think any insurance covered it initially. And, and you don't have the money for it. So your option is death. And people are getting sick from this. As you and I both know, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone that's listening, that's in our profession. But the third killer in America now is medical practice. So the pharmaceutical deaths that are happening. And that's unfortunate. I mean, the safest place in the world should be a hospital and a doctor's office. But as you know, 70% of the people who now are on heroin initiated the addiction in a doctor's office with the oxys. Mm. Now that is unfathomable and not acceptable to me, at least as a human being, that the person that takes a prescription, gets addicted to an opiate and literally can't afford it. So goes on the street. And these are not bad people. Some of these people are in your neighborhood we're talking about. You know, they are friends or our family members. And it's such a plague at this point in America. And it's very easy. You stop prescribing those things at the level and rate. As you know, as a physician a few years ago, they made it so you can give those drugs to 13-year-old children and below. That is outrageous to me, what that would do for the rest of their life to the injury of the brain, just as an example. Yeah. So, so when it comes to, you know, somebody that doesn't have much, you know, that much resources, or even people who have a lot of resources, I mean, there's incredible things that we can do that are really inexpensive. And, and, and you are, you know, a master at, you know, understanding all these tools. So maybe we can go over some of the, some practical tools that people can utilize so they don't ever have to <laughs> well, get to the hospital. Let's talk about the first five again. I mean, if you don't listen to anything else or hear anything else that both of us are saying tonight, work hard on getting your affirmative mindset. Mm. And it was hard for me. I had to actually lie to myself at the beginning. After saying it, I'm happy, I'm happy enough, I started to become happy. <laughs> and oh, really? so that's number one. Number two, if you don't clean up your diet, you're a, a grand saboteur. And what I mean by that is you've got to get off all animal-based foods. Mm. In very simple terminology, animals are consuming 
grains that are filled with poison, genetic modification, heavy metals, pesticides, fungicides, herbicides, and they bioaccumulate. They're eating pounds and pounds, kilos of food a day that literally get into their cells, their tissue, and there's massive amounts of these poisons, noxious things. You got to get, and when I say animal foods, I'm talking about milk, I'm talking about cheese, I'm talking about butter, I'm talking about kefir, I'm talking about yogurt, I'm talking about fish, I'm talking about pork, I'm talking about chicken and turkey, and I'm talking about red meat. All of these things I haven't touched in over half a century. This institute has never, ever uh, given any of that to people. And as you know, we're most renowned for people coming here and reversing two things, major disease and aging. Mm-hmm. So that's number two. Well, uh, can I interrupt? What about the grass fed? You know, wild, wild no, it, it's nonsense. Several of my books, I wrote one called Dairy Deception, Poison Poultry, Killer Fish. This is a yuppie thing. Let's explain it to you. That it's for white yuppies, pretty much with big wallets. They go into the markets and think, oh, I'm more humane because I'm getting an animal. A good friend of mine who's a doc basically looked at the propaganda that was out there by the so-called free range industry and said, we'd have to knock down all of the buildings and put seven earths, not the earth we have. We need a replication, six more earths to actually humanely allow animals to graze on the land. You'd have no buildings and you just have that. So this is nonsense. So I actually show pictures in some of my presentations of the so-called organic and free range and cageless are in the same exact factory farms. Listen close people, same exact factory farms. And who regulates this? Not the government, the industry self-regulates. So free range is an example. You have to open the window in in the horrible catastrophic environment that they're in, pooping on top of one another, running around, sick as a dog, being shot with antibiotics, even though they're called organic. You open the window 30 minutes a day, you can call it free range. That's a fact. Uh, cageless is even worse. There's a 15% higher incidence of death in cageless because they're happy you don't have to buy the cages and clean them. So they let the chickens and turkeys walk on top of one another. And the ones at the bottom die of ammonia poisoning. And I won't get into detail, but you know why. They're at the bottom and they get ammonia poisoning from that. Uh, all of this is crazy. I mean, uh, just last week, Science Magazine reported a study where they actually looked at so-called free range meat, and it had similar levels of the antibiotics that other meats had in it. So this is really just to make you feel good about it. And there's no such thing as humane slaughtering. I mean, at the end of the day, you can actually torture somebody to die. That's what they're doing in this case. (laughs) Or by the way, you can just shoot them. The end result is death. And it's not necessary. So in my mind, it's very clear. If there's something that you do not need to consume, that is not only questionable, but proven to be cancer-causing, heart disease-causing, diabetic-causing, and environmental disaster. The number one reason we have environmental disaster today is people eat animals and consume their milk. This is an opinion. Every legitimate environmentalist in the world know this. So I see people driving Priuses and eating free-range chicken. They're hypocrites. The reality is I'm happy you're in the Prius. I'm happy you're in the electric car. I'm all for that. But the truth of the matter is that's a fraction of what eating meat and drinking milk out of a bosom of another creature does. So it's got to be that. It's got to be organic because if you're not organic, it's another problem. So next in line, you've got to exercise. Yeah. You don't exercise. You cannot be healthy. And I did a little study, a pop study, as I call it here, 18 years ago, because when people are sick, they insist they don't have the energy to exercise. So I got the group that, that did, and I looked at them for two years and one month, and I found out that you can actually rapidate or speed up healing of every single disease on an average of three times hmm. if you just do aerobic exercise. Now, you know why, but for the non-doctors, I'll explain it to you. When your circulation is moving, because you're moving aerobically and heating the body up, stem cells are coming out to repair the, to come and replace the dying cells, which are inevitable. I mean, they're not dying because you're sick. That's natural. Cells die, octopus, and then you come in and then you have the stem cell. That's first. Number two, you're flushing and bringing more oxygen into the bloodstream. All disorders, 
viruses, bacteria, mold, fungus, yeast, and cancer are anaerobic. When you put oxygen into the body, it kills these things. Not maybe it kills these things, it kills these things. And the more you have, the better it is. Next is your psyche. It's clear to me, uh, moderate to light uh, depression, 50% of the people, if they just got off their butt and did aerobic exercise, they correct it because the endorphins go. And now we understand serotonin activity and the uptake uh, from the intestinal tract. All of that is greatly enhanced by movement and exercise. And here are the three you have to do. Stretching, and the older you are, the more that is important. Number two, aerobic, minimum, minimum. I want you to do more, 35 minutes, five days a week, hmm. minimum. And I mean, heart pounding, I don't want to do this type of stuff. And weightlifting. If you don't do resistant exercise, you're going to be in trouble. Little skinny women who eat vegan diets or any diet are going to get osteoporosis. It's not a dietary thing, not a calcium thing. That's baloney. Matter of fact, it's a weightlifting deficiency. And how I can say this with utter authority, I work with 22,000 women mostly, but some men with osteoporosis. Nobody gets well doing everything else I tell them unless they lift weight. Hmm. So these are the things we need to do. I think you have to have a spiritual, doesn't have to be religious, it can be, a spiritual connectivity to the universe. If you, don't, if you think you're here alone and the burden's on your back, you're going to collapse. So you've got to find some way to commune with nature, commune with God. And why I'm a fan of religion, if any reason, it's community. You need a community support. And I'm not saying you have to be religious. I know highly connected people that have no religion, but they're spiritually awake people. And spiritually awake doesn't mean some corny thing that you know how to say prayers in your sleep. It means that you have respect for everything that you have. You have gratitude, that you have respect for nature. And if you just have that type of thing and humble yourself, it does so much for your well-being and others' well-being. That joy factor, what you introduced today, you're here to make people happy. If you're happy, you're going to make other people. It's contagious. You ever notice you walk into a room, people are laughing, you don't know why, but you laugh? It's contagious. And so the last thing I will say to you is you have to have close relationships. Uh, the most impressive study done on centenarians and super centenarians, 110-year-old people, and I mentioned this when I was at your clinic there in, in Los Angeles, uh, the study that was done up in New England, the hands down, the most comprehensive study on how do we make it to 100 and older, said, yes, eating plant-based diets, yes, exercise, but equally important, not less important, is you having good friends and you having relationships, by the way, that fulfill you and enrich you and impassion you. You know, I mean, you know, it's so sad. I was mentioning this in class here on campus today that 90% of marriages are not truly happy marriages. Now think of that. They're not your friend. You don't want to hang out with them. What happened to people? Well, people are confused. They're lost. And so one lost person doesn't attract one together person. You attract another lost person. And then you make babies that are lost. And before <laughs> you know it, everything gets lost at that point. Only 10% of people, and when they evaluate, the psychologists and psychiatrists evaluated this, they said, they were two people that were confident in who they were, happy with their life, and content with everything that they had. And when you get two people that have that, they support one another. Otherwise, if you have one weak person, one strong person, they're like vampires draining energy out of the strong person. And even if the strong person has empathy and compassion and love, eventually they just can't stay in that relationship anymore. And obviously, two weak people have nothing to give one another. And, you know, it, it, to me, this is as important, this relationship thing, as everything else I've mentioned to you. So let's review it again. So the top is affirmative thought. The second is really clean, plant-based, organic food, and as much raw, uncooked, unprocessed food as you can have. Number three is exercise. I mean, I'm talking about real exercise, where you're doing stretching, at least an hour and a half, three days a week, resistant exercise, aerobic every single day if possible, but at least five days a week. The third thing I'm talking about is that community, be it if you get it in religion or your club. And if you don't have that where you live, create one. 
you know, create a club where you come, pick, come together and have that social interaction. We need support. And the last one is your close interrelationships with people. That is powerfully important. I wouldn't be the man I am today without my wife. I, I, she is half of my life. She, what I don't know, she's strong in, what, and vice versa. And she's my coworker, my lover, my partner, the mother of my children, the grandmother of my grandchildren. And the reality is, I feel if everyone in the world had that and friendship and fed their body well and did this, we'd have peace. People wouldn't be at war. People wouldn't hate. There wouldn't be sexism, racism, and all of this craziness. People hate themselves, so they strike out and hate other people. Yeah, well, you're a very fortunate man. (laughs) I think a lot of people have trouble finding, you know, a partner of that kind of caliber. You, I'm going to be very personal, even though this is your podcast. A woman like you, who's highly intelligent and attractive, is intimidating for weaker men. You just haven't, you just haven't found a real man that appreciates who you are. That's it. And most men, and let me be honest with you, I'm a male. Men, if they're lucky, start to grow up. I didn't start to really grow up until I was in my 50s. And most men never grow up. You know, we're like boys through our life. Why? Because our mothers let us be that, our wives let us be it, the girlfriends let us be. They, you know, we're allowed to be boys. Women have to take all of the work and get none of the credit. And so I've always surrounded myself with powerful women, smart women, because I realized the female intuition and the female insight is wider than a male's. We're great tractors. You give me a job, I'll plow the damn thing down with the tractor. You look at the trees, you look at where the, what kind of tractor is it? Is it right? No, the women have this whole thing going on. We just don't have. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. You know, the male and female, um, they complement each other and can make life a lot more fun, a lot more inspiring. You're a fun person. And all I can say to you is, I don't know where you're, who you're socializing with, but I better start to introduce you to some real people. <laughs> I had no idea this is where this this podcast is going. This, this has become the love the love connection here. <laughs> I know I cover many aspects, so hey, yeah, you know, I, I'm an open book. I wrote a whole book about my life, you know, the Tiger of Beijing. So I, I you know, that's fine. Oh, yeah, that, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I it's, it's about a, that's that's it's wonderful. Very, it's a very candid memoir, so let it all hang out then. <laughs> yeah, well, look, at, if you're having a problem, I feel bad for the other women. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other conversation, but we have another episode. But um, so as far as optimizing health, um, you mentioned various things, you know, including water and, 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 and you know, certain nutrients. Um, are there particular things um, that people can do and, and maybe take that can supercharge their health. Oh yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're just three, three things that they can, they can take, what would you recommend? Uh, number one, B12, you've got to take a soil based microorganism, B12, a living B12. Remember 70% of us lack that. If you could take something called glutathione, mm-hmm. I mean, this is unbelievable. The more we look at glutathione, it becomes almost like, you know, saintly. And so you have these wonderful little uh, engines in every one of your cells. You have trillions and trillions of cells. And this is a really interesting story. You know this, but they may not know it, that this is a parasite, not the little squeezy bug like you think about, that somewhere along the evolutionary trail adapted itself to the human body and took over our cells. Isn't that amazing? It's called Mm. mitochondria. Yes. And Now we found out recently, uh, mitochondria's favorite food is glutathione. Now, yes, you can get it in food. Raw asparagus has it, avocados have it, but really I eat all of those, plus I take it. Mm. It's it's youthifying. It actually helps you to activate immune functions, T-cell, killer cell, fighter cell in the body. It is unbelievably important. And if you ask the last one, I would probably say it's zinc. Hmm. Get, it, get an ionic form, the kind you would find in a plant. And there's a wonderful group out of California called Eden, ionic form of zinc. Because the one thing we do know 
is out of all the nutrients ever researched for decades now, zinc actually fights viruses and bacterias and reverse just one small example. We used to think vitamin C did that. That's off the table now. Vitamin C had very little help once you got sick from a cold or a flu. That it helps prevent it because it was the first antioxidant ever mentioned by a guy called Harmon, who told us all aging and disease biologically occurs from free radical damage. And what prevents that, what shields it, is vitamin C. And then he said vitamin E. Now, we know glutathione. We know alpha lipoic acid. We know CoQ10 are supercharges. But what I will say to you is that zinc is powerful for you. Uh, when people get viruses of any type, this is one of the first things I give them. Raw garlic, I give them too. I mean, mm. I, today I sat, uh, or it was yesterday, excuse me. I sat with our group here in the immune system and cancer program. I actually showed a circle that I put together with all of the different diseases that raw garlic prevents. Starts with Alzheimer's disease, inflammatory diseases, all forms of cancer, you know, diabetics. I mean, and every one of those circles I had with the disease had a minimum of 1,000 studies. The one on cancer had 3,278 studies. So this is how much data there is on these things out in the world. So those three, if you have to limit me to three, they're the ones. Yeah, I'm a little surprised to hear you, you know, put zinc that high up. It's really zinc interesting. Zinc is really powerful. By the way, why my hair hasn't turned uh, white yet is because of that. I've been taking a lot of zinc, not for that reason, by the way. I just uh -huh. knew this is a good side effect. The two things we know if you're prematurely graying. Now, everyone will gray. If I live to 100, I'm writing a book with a doctor now, by the way, how to live to 120. That's a fact. Right. He's a retired okay. endocrinologist, and we're having fun doing it together because he has a different view. But why he gets what we do, his wife came here and reversed uh, 17 years ago stage four melanoma. So he was forced to look into what we're doing. But we were talking about this today. And the two, what we do is when people get older, everyone will eventually turn white. But genetically, more than half the people are turning white prematurely because of a lack of copper and zinc. Hmm. So we get these ionic forms and tell people if you really want to attempt to do this, and nothing wrong with white hair, by the way, if you want to keep it. But the fact is about 55 to 65%, depending upon the age, when they're older, when they're 60, 70, no, it's, it's less, it's 40%. But the younger ones, it's actually up to 65% of them, you start to see their hair color come back again. Hmm. Wow. So yeah. do you take a company? That's something you should have in your clinic. So call the Eden company. Eden. Okay. You, give, you tell them to take a teaspoon in the morning mm -hmm. of the copper. You need about half and two teaspoons later in the day of the zinc. Ah. Now, it's going to have other good effects on you besides looking cosmetic effects. But who doesn't want to keep their hair the normal color if they can't? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I remember in our clinic, you also talked about chlorophyll, right? That's something that you were, you were very passionate about. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, you have to remember that every drop of life on this planet, including you and I, came from photons from the sun. So in the middle of the sun right now, as we speak, every second, endless zillions, and that's not an embellishment, endless zillions of these little protons are born. And they bounce back and forth on neutrons for 100,000 years. Now, remember, the sun is a star. And if you try to stand on it, you can't. It's only 2% particles, 98% open. So you fall right through. Hmm. And 100,000 years, this gastric round circle of star is bouncing back, creating heat and friction. At 100, about 100,000 years, it hits the surface. A solar flare, solar storm happens. It shoots off so fast, it becomes light. So it goes from a proton to a photon. Now listen here. This is interesting stuff. <laughs> what evolved on the planet Earth to capture life, to create life on the planet Earth? A green leafy plant. And you learned about this. I learned about it. First big word you and I ever learned was photosynthesis. Remember that? Yes. I couldn't say it. It took me two years. Photosynthesis. So <laughs> this is amazing stuff. What is that? That's chlorophyll. That's the blood of a plant. So every drop of nutrition, every drop of life, every drop of energy on this Earth comes into a green leafy plant. So when you consume it, the blood of the plant, the chlorophyll, it's so antiseptic 
it raises the electrical frequency of the cell to what my good friend at UCLA, Dr. Hunt, God bless her, she's gone now, said, every one of your cells have to be at about 75 hertz. Mm. And then disorder and aging cannot pervade the body. Mm. Now, she said that in 1968. And that's what I've been living by. And chlorophyll helps to clean the body and raise that energy field up to such a high level or normal level, not a high level, normal level. I mean, you know, when and we, 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 she worked with us years ago, looking at disease. You have cancer. Uh, every type of cancer is about 10 hertz and below. So your cell's fading. It's like a dimmer light that's almost off at that point. Multiple sclerosis, 25, you know, Parkinson's, uh, 18 to 20. So we know the different hertz. And in the future, when we become a little bit more savvy and sophisticated, we're going to be measuring the electrical frequency of the cell to determine what disease you have well before biology can tell us. Beautiful. We'll know the trend of the frequencies that are going. Yeah, I, I, I'm very excited about energy medicine. I, I definitely think that's where the future of medicine is going. You know, we need to get beyond chemistry. It's non-invasive and it's becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper all of the time. Yeah. It's, going to be on, so, it's on your phones. You know this, you know, years ago, somebody told me a story. I thought they were making up just to pull my leg. They said they were with an older woman in Washington on a tour. She fell down. A young doc pulled her Apple phone out and did an EKG on her. Mm. I thought she made it up. So I actually challenged her and she said, here, get on the phone. And I'm talking to this doctor. I said, you don't know about this? I felt, in, felt guilty. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that on an Apple phone, but you can. And it's going to get more and more and more. Yes, yes. So where can people get chlorophyll? I guess leafy vegetables. Uh, that's what... <laughs> well, Everything from the salad you eat, raw salad you eat, you know, to the obvious. But, but you can't buy it in a bottle. They have, remember, anything you put in a bottle, including any form of juice, unless it says raw on it, has been pasteurized. Pasteurized means cooked to death. And why they do that, so it's an inert object. It doesn't have any life in it. So it has, it's not less perishable or far less perishable. It sits on the shelf for five years. So what you want is fresh, raw chlorophyll. Now, I'm drinking about a quart and a half of chlorophyll-rich juices every day, but it's not only the chlorophyll I'm getting, as you know, but it's also the highest phytochemicals, which is the most important medicine ever discovered in the history of biology and science. This is woven into the plants, uh, different chemicals, phyto plant chemicals that attack diseases and get them out of your body. Every disease a man has or a woman has. Second thing is it has uh, massive amounts of nutrients. If you don't cook that, all the vitamins are intact. When you cook something, the vitamins are almost absent. Proteins are disturbed. They're not disturbed in these foods. Uh, and most important, hormones, oxygen, phytochemicals, and enzymes. These are the four things I discovered and wrote about 20 years ago as being why this program, living food, organic plant-based program, heals and reverses disease. Because hormones are the language for the cells to communicate. You don't have enough of that coming in from raw plant-based food. You're going to have confused cells and you don't want confused cells. You age prematurely. You get, if you're lucky, you get fibrocystic problems. If you're not lucky, they develop into cancer. Oxygen. We knew back in 1917, a Nobel guy, a, a laureate got this prize when he said, look at nutrients don't absorb into the human cell unless you have oxygen bonded to them. Once you cook a food, the oxygen leaves. The fragrance of the food is actually the oxygen molecule leaving. Then the third is phytochemicals, which I mentioned. I mean, I write books on this for doctors. These things are they're magic is what they are. Every different edible plant basically has a different type of this chemical. Some take care of heart problems. Some take care of diabetes. Some are just purely for aging. Some are for cancer. Some are for particular forms of cancer. I mean, this is amazing stuff. And then enzymes. And you and I, when we went to school, they incorrectly taught us about enzymes. They said they were proteins. That's like me saying to you and everyone, all you are is your body. Well, you should be offended. You should say, wait a minute, I have an emotional state, a spiritual state. I have bones. I have blood. You'd be right. I'd be wrong. So what a it is the outer shell of an enzyme is a protein, but it's the way your electric body receives electric. And every doctor should know this because we understand how inception happens. It's basically two uh, sperm and egg coming together and enzyme activity creates you. It's energy that creates you, an enzyme activity. So yeah, I'm a big fan of chlorophyll and anything alive like that. 
You know, my diet is about 90% raw food. It has been for many, many decades. Well, some, especially traditional, uh, you know, populations, I mean, cooking of the food is important. And that could be a way of bringing, changing the chemical compositions or bringing, making the food more digestible or even creating new molecules. Once you destroy the nutrient factors and those things I mentioned, there's not much to digest. So what it is with cooking, and there's a good reason cooking happened. People were getting sick. Remember, people didn't have diseases like we have today. People weren't dying of heart attacks and strokes and cancers. And there was no such thing as diabetes a century ago. There was no type 2 diabetes. Didn't exist. Look it up. I've, I've looked in medical archives. It did not exist. And so what they were dying of is contagious disease. And where they got contagious disease was on sterile conditions. So where were they on sterile conditions? The water system. People didn't have... Uh, facilities at that point. And I, it's really interesting. We must have some connection to the past because I've always, when I've been with women, felt to protect them, to put them on the inside, uh, away from the road. Isn't this interesting? And it wasn't until I was in France 30 years ago where somebody said, why do you do that? You know, this is just a woman I knew casually. And she said, why do you want me to be there? And she said, you know why you do that? She said, up until recently, people used to, from the apartment buildings, throw everything out the window. And the man to be polite and respectful to the woman, because we're not in other areas, we were obviously in this area, basically put women inside so that that didn't splash on them. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> how it is? So this is why we got sick. And can you imagine how they grew the food? They were growing it in feces of animals. They were growing it. So E. coli and bacteria, because that's where all of this stuff comes from. And if there wasn't a healthy, balanced soil, we had an overgrowth of bad things, and that's where these infectious diseases came from that. Now, we always badmouth modern medicine. Modern medicine created something that's incredible that, by the way, went, they went nuts with, called antibiotics. Now, antibiotics is a great, great thing. I mean, a lot of people died of bacterial diseases before, but because it's one of the few drugs they've ever created that has any success at a big level, they go nuts on it. They think it's for everything. And what it inevitably does, the same thing we do with the environment, we destroy the bacteria count, we destroy the bacteria in you. The microorganisms that actually create 80% of your immune system and 90% of serotonin in serotonin receptor sites come from the healthy bacteria in your gut. You're taking antibiotics, you're taking drugs, you're taking chemotherapy, you're, taking, you're drinking alcohol, you're drinking soda, you're eating crap. So I, I honor and respect that we have traditions of eating, but it doesn't mean we were right then either. You know, there was good reasons for it. Why did we start eating animals? Because people decided to do goofy things like live in the middle of the winter and where there was nothing living but an animal. So you had a choice. You and your children starve or you eat an animal. Why did people start to drink milk? And it wasn't long ago we started, by the way. If you know, most of the world today still doesn't consume milk and they're the healthy ones. They don't have the problems that a lot of the milk drinkers do. It's because, by the way, that was the only food they could get. They watched the animals do it, and they said, oh, I have a choice of starving or drinking that. So they got under the animal and did it. But, you know, there's a lot of traditions that are really not good for us that you and I have employed. And if you just look, I, I, I did a, a program on this two weeks ago. If you look at China versus India, now, an Anglo over here, doesn't know the difference, of course. They probably don't know how to, on a map, show you where China or India is, but I've been to both of the places, and I can say to you something, that they eat a lot more plants than you and I. Mm -hmm. The Chinese diet is, I mean, when I was growing up, there were, the only plant I ever saw was potatoes that were covered with butter. That was the only plant I ever saw, and, and French fries with ketchup. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but the reality is, when they compared the microbiome healthy gut of the Indians who eat very little meat to no meat, mm. and not that they're perfect, some of them eat dairy food, to the Chinese, the Chinese had 10 times less healthy bacteria that created serotonin in the brain. Really? Yeah. The other thing, you, you don't have to jump into this full blast. If you're ill, if you're facing a disease, yes, you come to a place like Hippocrates, you know, we're the oldest organization on the planet, we're in our seventh decade of doing this. Nobody's done it like this, and as long as it's successful, as we've seen the people. But the reality is, you know, if not, 
you say, okay, if I'm eating too much bad stuff, let's reduce it by uh, one week by 20%, the next week by 10%. The next, so over five months, six months, you get rid of the bad stuff. And every week you add good stuff. You're starting to fulfill in. That's sometimes easier and reasonable. If you're fighting cancer or multiple sclerosis or HIV, you got to come to a place like this. And what we just take your entire body, we dissect it, your mind, we dissect, we put it back together, give you the tools and send you back home so that you now can continue a sane lifestyle, even though you live in an insane world, you have a sane yeah. lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we end, I want to go back to the, the Indians and the Chinese. So why were the Indian microbiome 10% better than the Chinese? It was, it was a roughage. And they, they recognize now that cellulose is the prebiotic. So you've heard that term. And it's a shame how dishonest the supplement industry can be. Uh, they sell you ground up cellulose in a bottle for 40 bucks. Well, if you eat salad, you get prebiotics. So that's number one. And so we now realize that the three pillars of the entire microbiome in the intestinal tract require cellulose and chlorophyll, which we mentioned for the antiseptic effect, and phytochemicals that are in here, and phenols that are in there, in their raw state. And so when they compared the Chinese who even cooked more food than the Indian, and why? Because China had a septic problem, just mm. like everywhere had a septic. So they learned wisely and intelligently to cook to death their food so there weren't any microbes in it where the Indians were more, less susceptible to that. Remember the populations were different and they were spread out over larger areas. Even though China is a large landmass, they were, so the, the, they ate more of the raw food. And by the way, if you look at, it's interesting, many years ago, somebody gave me this. They said, look at the traditional Hindu mm -hmm. uh, ideology on food. It was raw food. And wow. they adapted, they changed because as the population grew, remember, China and India, the two most populous countries on the planet Earth, they're living on top of one another, as you know. And so what ended up happening is that they adapted the cooking food because they started to realize when Mary ate the raw cherry out there, she died. They didn't know why. They didn't, you know, Pasteur hadn't come yet. They didn't know it was a microbe. <laughs> but the fact is they knew, hey, we better cook that thing because mm -hmm. death kills everything. You and the bacteria. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's because the Indians were using a lot more spices than the Chinese. I mean, wide it array of be. spices. But I'm, you know, the, the, look, compared to Anglos over here, I mean, the Chinese do pretty good with spices too. I mean, I happen to think if the first foods, you know, when I first became a plant-based eater, I mean, the go-to place was Chinese food and Indian food. That was it. And, you know, I'll never forget, I would go into the Asian markets and I was like the first white guy that would show up there back in the 60s and 70s. And they were so excited. Back yeah. then, tofu was so cheap. This is a, they, you know how much tofu was a pound? 10 cents. Oh my God. <laughs> and they, they would give me an extra two pounds. So for like a dollar, I'd have enough to eat for a week. <laughs> 12 pounds of tofu. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and look at, uh, it's not China, mainland China, but Indonesia created tempeh which is actually a pretty good food. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. yeah, it's delicious. And by the way, if you ate it raw, not that many people do, it has good, healthy bacteria in it. Because oh. even though they cook the beans, they let life and culture come back into it. So it has healthy bacteria in it. Okay, I'm going to try that next time I make a big salad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you love it. It, it. Yeah. It has a meaty, a meaty taste to it. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Brian... Uh, this has been so interesting, so fun, a lot of great uh, nuggets of uh, wisdom and, and, and health tips for people. So where can people find you, get help from you and, and uh, Hippocrates? Well, of course, it, I'll, I'll spell Hippocrates. I worked here three years before I spelled it correctly. <laughs> so it's the father of Western medicine, of course. H-I, like hi, P-P, remember P-P. <laughs> O-C-R-A-T-E-S. So H-I-P-P-O-C-R-A-T-E-S. Institute, or if you want to abbreviate it, I-N-S-T.org. We're a nonprofit. 
And so you can get online or you can give us a call. You know, you can call from anywhere in the world. And we're 561-471-8876. So 561-471-8876. And you can sign up for our free magazines that we download. And we have all, all the issues going back decades. And uh, get on Hippocrates TV if you want. And uh, look up an organization that I helped to create called The Real Truth About Health that literally disseminates not only our information, but we bring the top people in the world in on doctors, environment, and et cetera. And that's a wonderful organization too. But let's stay connected and let's realize uh, we're not in a bad situation today. We're in the best situation we ever have been in as a human race to accelerate and progress. Just as long as we let progress occur and stop the unfortunate control and manipulation by corporate interests today. Be well, it's always nice to see you and be with you. Thank you so much, really appreciate you. Yeah, bye what bye a hopeful too. message we're ending it on. So thank you, Dr. Clement, for, for all you do and your wisdom. Be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy the content. And if so, please rate and follow this podcast. To reach me, you can contact Uplift Longevity Center. That is Uplift with a Y. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joy Kong MD. See you next time.